history books are full of the stories of once grand kingdoms. Palaces built for kings and queens who sought fame and chased glory. Those who conquered their enemies and ruled by might. They grew powerful empires, defeated the weak, and built walls around their wealth. Their stories are legendary. But those kingdoms, no matter how grand, now serve only as a monument to rulers that once were. They were built with stones that have now toppled and with power that has since faded. You see, a kingdom that would never end would need a king who was unlike any other. A king that didn't come to be served, but to serve. A king who elevated the lowly, healed the hurting, and traded a royal robe for a towel to wash feet. And then, in history's greatest act of love, this king would lay down his life for the sake of the whole world, taking our guilt and our shame, offering us life and hope, and inviting us all to participate in his upside-down kingdom. From my home to your home, happy Easter. So thankful that you stopped by to watch and listen to this message. I hope that it inspires you as you follow Jesus. Well, we just wrapped up a five-week series called Investigating Jesus, and really it was to set us up for today. And the question we talked about over the last five weeks to set up our series has been this. If the Bible reveals God's nature, his character, tells us who he is, that he's good, that he's perfect, it explains our purpose, like why we exist. Then why are people doubting? Why are people deconverting, deconstructing, or dismissing faith? And we talked over the last couple of weeks that the reason why people are doing it is because their faith is in something other than who it's supposed to be in. God set it up that our faith rises and falls on the identity of a single person. It's Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Mary and Joseph, doing the impossible, rising from the dead. It's not supposed to be in a denomination or an affiliation or a famous church leader. It's not supposed to be in any of those things. It's not supposed to even be in a group of Christians. It's not even supposed to be in a church. That our faith rises and falls on the identity of a single person, Jesus doing the impossible, rising from the dead. And so if you're curious about faith, returning to faith, or you find yourself losing faith, here's the question we've, we've wrestled with over the last couple of weeks is this, is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote true. Because if what they wrote is true, then there's reason not to believe. There's not a reason to deconstruct or have to dismiss faith. So to understand the personal implications of the Easter story, it requires us to call a timeout and go back to the moment when Jesus was crucified. There's a large crowd around, imagine that. There's a large crowd around, and in that crowd are Jesus' disciples, his mom, and the women who followed him during his three years of ministry. 
when Jesus was crucified, all that was left was a group of Galilean overwhelmed followers filled with sorrow, grief, confusion, and fear. The, the religious leaders, who some of them, his followers knew, they conspired with Rome. They conspired with Rome to falsely accuse and crucify the best person they'd ever known. Someone who wasn't supposed to die. He was believed to be the Messiah, God's final king. And kings didn't die with and be crucified alongside criminals. So yet in less than 24 hours, Jesus was arrested, tried, and crucified. His closest followers were in shock. They thought they were on the verge of winning. Four days before, they had come, strolled into Jerusalem. Jesus is in a donkey, crowds all around, shouting his name, so thankful that God's Messiah has come. Now we're ready for, for the Messiah to overthrow Rome, set Israel up as a powerful nation again. Then all of a sudden, unexpectedly, it was over. And the goal of crucifixion wasn't death. I mean, there were easier and simpler ways to kill a person. The goal of crucifixion was to terrify the community. And so the body, once it died, once the person died, the body was taken off the cross. The remains were dumped and later eaten by wild animals. And But for a price, you could claim the crucified body. The gospel writers tell us that Nicodemus, a well-known Pharisee, and Joseph Arimathea, a well-known citizen, asked Pilate for Jesus' body to give him a proper burial. And so they take Jesus' body down off the cross. They put him in a newly renovated cave, a family burial plot. And when they do that, they prepare his body for burial with spices, and they wrap him in layers of linen. They were going to seal the body in the tomb, and later we find out that it was under watch by soldiers. Now, it was opened, it would be reopened years later, so his family could collect the bones and put them in an ossuary box. So like today, we cremate people, and we put them in vases, put them over your, your mantle, your fire pit, your fireplace. But back then, they would put the bones in a box. So today, we have ashes in a vase, they would have bones in a box. Now, Nicodemus and Joseph were secret followers of Jesus. Yet, because of their reputation in the community, they were torn. They were torn about going public that they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, he's dead now, and, and they thought, clearly, he wasn't, or he would have been crucified. But he was a good man. He did not deserve the fate of a common criminal. So let's do something about it. Let's bury him. So they did what they could, and they headed home before sunset to celebrate Shabbat or the Sabbath. Well, opening, this opened the door up for the body to be properly buried so Mary Magdalene and her friends would come later that Sunday morning to finish doing the burial. Meanwhile, 1,500 miles away in Rome, Tiberius Caesar, the emperor of Rome, had no idea what was going on in Judea, had no idea. Saul of Tarsus, later known as the Apostle Paul, is celebrating Passover in Jerusalem with his religious friends. They are thankful that they dodged a bullet by this troublesome rabbi. They took him out. 
Thomas, who later becomes known by the unfortunate nickname Doubting Thomas, has fled the city. Meanwhile, Peter, James, and John and the others are huddled together somewhere in the city trying to figure out what to do next. Peter is contemplating going back into doing business for himself. He was a fisherman. Matthew has no job prospects. Across town, women are gathering. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is in shock. So you have confused citizens. Remember, Passover was happening. And so you have a large number of people in Jerusalem that have no idea who Jesus even is. So you have confused citizens, freight next disciples, broken-hearted women, and a broken-hearted mom. But what you don't have, what you would not have found, were followers ready to continue Jesus's mission. Man, nobody no longer believed Jesus was the Savior. He couldn't, wouldn't even save himself. Certainly he was not the long-awaited Messiah. He was not the long-awaited king of Israel. Nobody had the ability to teach and perform miracles and pray like Jesus. And so this was our one shot. He wasn't it. And so we now have to wait maybe another 400 years before we get anything else. So this is often overlooked and so important. But the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry was not his teaching. It was impractical. It was very offensive to people. Pay for your taxes. Pray for your enemies. Lust equals adultery. Turn the other cheek. Forgive regardless. Like, who's going to do those things or follow someone who teaches that? Jesus didn't come just to provide us a collection of insights, short stories, and parables. Jesus instructed his followers to follow and put their trust in him as a king. It wasn't Jesus' ideas or insights that got him crucified. It was who he claimed to be. He claimed to be God. And at one point, Jesus claimed that he was greater than Moses, the prophets, and even the temple. On one occasion, Jesus tells his disciples, if you see me, you see the Father. And Peter and the boys just didn't believe Jesus because of what he taught. They followed Jesus because of who they believed he was and who he claimed to be. But on Friday and Saturday, they believed they were wrong. The Holy One of God, the Messiah, could not be killed by a foreign power. When Jesus died, the movement died along with him. Jesus wasn't a form reformer. He wasn't trying to reform Judaism. He wasn't trying to change it or improve it. He came to establish something brand new. He said, I will build my ecclesia, my church, we learn on Good Friday, just as God took the rib out of Adam and created Eve, when the spear was thrust in Jesus' side, out came the birth of the church. On Friday and into Saturday, nobody expected an empty tomb. Fast forward to 313 AD when Emperor Constantine, a Christian, decreed Christianity legal, so it provided them legal status and a reprieve from persecution. Then fast forward to 380 AD, the new emperor made Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. It ended state support for pagan priesthood and shifts all financial resources to the church. Believe it or not, the empire that executed Jesus now replaces the pantheon of the gods, including Zeus, with Jesus. Fast forward to today, there is no Roman Empire 
The city of Rome is full of crosses commemorating Jesus' crucifixion, the cross that once represented suffering, shame, and terror, and fear, now represents hope, salvation, compassion, and love. 1,500 miles away in Jerusalem is filled with Christians from all over the world who are walking the same roads as Jesus. So if all you knew was that there was a man named Jesus, claimed to be God, crucified by Rome, then hundreds of years later that man was believed to be God, the emperor replaces the pantheon of the Roman gods with Jesus, the millions of people all around the world gather weekly to worship him, the question that we probably need to be asking is what happened? What happened? Here's the deal. All of this is historically accurate. No one with credibility is discrediting or disputing these details. So it brings us to the same question we asked earlier. Is what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote true? Because if it is, there is, re there is no reason not to believe. Notice what John writes. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, which is John, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. They didn't know who they were. The assumption was that a third party had been involved and they stole his body. No one assumed a resurrection miracle. They write themselves into the story as confused by the empty tomb. Notice Luke's description. But they did not believe the women because the words seemed to them like nonsense. Back to John. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. The Simon Peter came along behind him, went straight into the tomb. They saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside, and he saw and believed. So later that afternoon, Jesus visits his followers in the city. They immediately get back to his mission, the message of the good news. It came down to what they saw and believed. Seeing the empty tomb and later the risen physical Jesus caused them to believe that what he taught and who he claimed to be, God's son, a king, God's final king who came to die for his subjects rather than requiring them to die for him. Now his followers understood and got to work. The resurrection of Jesus is not just a story in the Bible. It's the story, right? The whole story of the Bible is Jesus. And it intersects with your story, my story, and everyone's story. See, the resurrection of Jesus revolves around one of history's greatest mysteries. How did his teaching and the church survive the first century? It resolves another mystery as well, a personal one. It resolves the mystery of how you and I can go from where we stand with God and how God views you, how God views me, my failure, your failure, your sin, my sin, 
See, Jesus was the only person who spoke with the authority of how God feels about you, how he feels about me, and humans. So John, who beat Peter to the tomb, makes this statement. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish. A few weeks ago, we learned that the word perish means a pulling me, which means lost to God. See, God doesn't deal with good people and bad people. He deals with lost and found people. And God doesn't want you to be lost. He wants you to be found. And John continues, but we'll have eternal life. See, Jesus' death made no sense until his resurrection. Friday made no sense until Sunday. And then it all made sense in the world. He came not to overthrow Rome's authority and power over the Jews, but overthrow sin's authority and role over humanity. This is why so many took it upon themselves to write about the things they saw and believed. The resurrection is the reason we have a Bible. The reason why we have this is because of the resurrection. If there was no resurrection, there would be no Bible. For some of us who read and listen to this every day, we do it because of the resurrection. Not only did Jesus' resurrection make sense of his death, it made sense of God's love for the world. Jesus died so that we could live. His resurrection means that he is who he claimed to be, a savior king providing us peace with God through the forgiveness of our sins. And this is the reason to believe, to follow and serve him as king. I mean, after all, no other king would wash our feet. No other king would prepare a table for his enemies. No other king would lay down his glory for those who could never repay it. No other king would touch a leper's skin. No other king would open his arms to the neglected and despised. No other king would forgive the sins of those who are broken. No other king would put up with the mockery, torture, and not say a word. No other king would take up a cross and choose to die with guilty thieves. No other king would die for his subjects. No other king would would be willing to sacrifice himself for the benefit of others. He was and is like no other king. And that is why we celebrate Easter. Jesus was the king who died in our place and came back from the dead to provide us eternal life. That is why we celebrate Easter. Heavenly Father, Thank you for this time to reflect on what the resurrection means. Help us to leave, whether listening or watching this, inspired that we have hope because of Jesus. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death we should have died. And he came back from the dead to give us eternal life. Lord, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.